Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Visit lisa.com forward slash hoops to learn more. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash h-o-o-p-s. The Volume. It's Hoops Tonight presented by FanDuel. The NBA season is kicking into gear and there's no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. The app is safe and secure. Getting your money out is super easy. You can jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting. And I love building those same game parlays. And FanDuel is now live in Ohio. So use promo code JasonT and download the FanDuel app today to start making every moment more. 21 plus in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia, and Ohio. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. Call 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. Call 1-877-770-STOP in LA. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Dial 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Friday, everybody. We are live on Amp, don't forget if you're watching this on YouTube or on one of our podcast feeds that Amp is the very first place that you guys can get these shows. We have a jam-packed show today. We're bringing my guy Carson on and we're going to hit five big questions around the league just like we did last week. You guys seem to like that. We obviously always love talking basketball with Carson. We're going to be hitting on a ton of teams. That incredible offensive explosion between the Dallas Mavericks and the Philadelphia 76ers. We're going to talk a little bit about what's wrong with the Los Angeles Clippers. And then we're going to hit some Eastern Conference teams. A lot of Celtics, a lot of Bucks, the New York Knicks on a seven-game winning streak with some impressive wins. And we're talking a little bit of the Warriors as well. You guys know the drill. Before we get started, subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't fit uh, so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And then last but not least, if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these shows and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, don't forget you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. All right, let's bring my guy Carson on. Carson, what's up, man? I'm excited to talk some basketball with you, man. As am I. Great to be back on, as always. And as you said, we're going to start by talking about a really exciting game that we saw last night between the Sixers and the Mavs. Dallas ended up winning 133-126. We saw 40-plus from both Luka and Kyrie. Who do you think that game said more about, Jason? Philly or Dallas? So I'm probably going to go a direction that you guys won't expect. I I I feel like that 
game was the perfect encapsulation of what this season will look like for the Dallas Mavericks. I, I've said a lot over the course of their struggles here since Kyrie and Luka have been playing together that I think that their limitations in front court size and personnel, just defensive personnel, dirty work personnel in general, are going to make it so that Luka and Kyrie have to be out of their minds offensively to give them any chance to beat good teams. And make no mistake, it was an impressive win yesterday, but that was the high end of the shot variance equation there. They shot 52% from three, 55% from the field. Luka and Kyrie seemingly made every single one of their difficult pull-up jump shots. There was there was just an element of shot result there that I don't think you can dependably count on. And I, I, I want to be clear, I'm not trying to shape this entire Kyrie trade around this topic because that particular move was made in a way that made it extremely difficult for them to contend within this season because of the way it depleted them. I'll give you an example. When the Lakers made the trade for Anthony Davis, they gave up everything. Like, literally everything. Every good basketball player on the team that was not named LeBron James went out the door. But they had a full offseason to target players that would complement them and, and to, uh, to, uh, to fill the specific holes they would need with that particular pairing. And, again, it's going to be a little tougher for Dallas because they're going to have to work more on the margins in terms of, like, the mid-level exception and maybe a trade here or there. They've got a few draft picks they can use. But this summer, they'll be able to go into it with, hey, this is our core. We've got Kyrie and Luka. Let's put, you know, this specific type of personnel. You know, I think they can forego some offensive uh, skill set with the uh, with the role players and prioritize defense just because of the level of offensive skill that Luka and Kyrie have. But last night, it, it would concern me because – they could not have possibly played better offensively. And Philly was still hanging tough. Like even when they threw that punch to start the third quarter, right there at the end of the third, early fourth, they got cold for a little bit and Philly was back into it like that. Um, so I, I do think that that uh, was a little bit concerning. I don't know that they'll be able to shoot that well to beat any good team four times out of seven. What do you think? I really like the angle that you've taken here. I mean, this is in a lot of ways an encapsulation of the Dallas Mavericks experience. This year, it was one of the best collective backcourt performances I can remember in my life. And through three quarters, it was like the Mavs were effectively playing perfect offensive basketball just because of unbelievable pull-up jump shooting from Luca and Kyrie, who were a combined, I think, 13 of 20 in this game or something like that. Just <laughs> absurd from beyond the arc. And then their ability to get the defense in rotation and to find shooters who were unbelievable. I mean, they were 25 of 48 from deep in this game. We know that's what they're capable of. At the same time, there's a reason that they're four and five since Kyrie's debut. And that reason is that they're 25th in defensive rating. And they have Maxi Kleba back now, which is nice. He's, he helps so I, much. <laughs> he does. I mean, he is their best defensive option in multiple situations. He's the best guy for them to go small ball five, certainly against a lot of big wings, he's their best option. But as you said, he's not enough to correct just a glaring deficiency in terms of front court and overall defensive talent. So this is why I don't view them as a legitimate contender this year. It's as you said, they have to be perfect offensively to beat good teams. And I just don't think it's sustainable. Luka and Kyrie may be the most talented scoring backcourt we've ever seen. But bottom line, they can't score 40 plus every night. And you can't trust Reggie Bullock in the supporting cast to shoot as well as they did. What I will say on the Philly front is I don't think there's as much to take away. This isn't as much of like a quintessential, wow, look at the highs and the lows as it is for the Mavs. This was, though, I thought, a good point for the argument that you have made many times about the value of bigs being diminished in today's NBA because of their exploitability defensively. And I thought, that's why the Mavs had such a great offensive game. Of course, shot making, right? You have to make 25 of 48 threes. But man, a lot of those 48 threes were wide open because of their repeated exploitation of Joel Embiid in space, whether that's out of pick and roll, him dropping, them shooting right over that, or if it's just his inability to recover and contest shooters at all. I mean, Embiid got embarrassed in this game, and that's why, obviously, he's a great rim protector, but he is in a lot of ways, exploitable defensively like a, well, I'm not going to bring up Jokic, but you know, <laughs> right? He's not the kind of complete great defensive big man that like a Jaron Jackson Jr. is. So I don't think it's any coincidence that the 
six or 17-0 run that got them right back into this game was them going smaller and beat on the bench Paul Reed out there because they could finally actually guard a five-out offense. So I don't think that Dallas is going to face enough teams that have that sort of exploitable center and who are, I mean, really it's Jokic, right, who they could go out in a playoff series, but I think Jokic is too complete offensively and the Nuggets are too good offensively uh, and better defensively than the Mavs. So I don't think that that matchup exploitation is enough for them to like make it through, but it does show you that, man, if you're going to play a traditional big out there, the Mavs can absolutely kill you. And it also says, I think the Sixers are lucky that there isn't really that kind of insane pull-up jump shooting team out east in that same way because the Mavs scored 32 points in the paint and they scored 133 points. It doesn't matter that Joel Embiid is a force in there. They're not even going in there. They're just shooting right over and they're going around him over and over again. So that would probably be my big takeaway on top of what you already touched on. That's a super interesting element that I haven't really even thought about. And I'm really glad you brought that up. Like matchups are everything in the NBA playoffs. And you're right. Like Boston is not a good pull-up jump shooting team. Uh, Miami's not a good pull-up jump shooting team. Milwaukee's not a good pull-up jump shooting team. They're like really the only team that would be capable of consistently get, causing Philly problems in that type of situation is Cleveland, and I don't think they'll face them. I think, I think it's an extremely low percentage chance that they'll end up in that type of matchup. Now they that could be a problem when they get out of the Eastern Conference for sure. But it is super interesting how uh, that matchup element has to be factored in. I want to give Embiid some credit. Like some of it was shot making. Like I mean, Luca yeah. hit a couple of step back threes on Joel that he contested really well. It's not so much even the it to me it was the uh, the the drop coverage in rotation drawing that second defender and then easily getting uh wide open shots on the back line that is a consistent problem we see with drop coverage bigs with their inability to be impactful in pick and roll defensively at, uh, of when they have to really come out from the rim and again that's just been one of my fundamental basketball ideologies forever it's why i've always had Embiid and Jokic kind of further behind the perimeter guys that we have around the league. It's not that I don't see their value. I think it's more just a product of the way the game of basketball has changed and just the sheer amount of foot speed and offensive skill on the floor and the way those things can be exploited. Um, really quickly, before we move on, on the Dallas front, you know, this idea, you know, I've always said pull up because we're going we're gonna to have a very similar conversation here in a minute about the Clippers. Pull-up shooting is monumentally important as a playoff skill, as like a ceiling raiser. But in my opinion, it cannot be your foundational ability as a basketball team. You have to have an identity that extends into the physicality areas of the game, whether that's you're an excellent defensive team or you're a team on offense that can relentlessly punish the rim because those things can be depended on on a night-in, night-out basis in the postseason in a way that pull-up jump shooting cannot I mean, last year, the Brooklyn Nets are the perfect example. They were by far the best pull-up jump shooting team in the league. Kyrie Irving and, and Kevin Durant were damn near 50% on pull-up jump shots through that entire regular season. And then they got into Boston, and suddenly their pull-up jump shooting dropped into the mid-30s, and that was their only identity, and suddenly they got swept. And so I think that's just something that we can learn from these teams is that it, like we have to look at that high level skill as a ceiling raiser and it cannot be a foundational skill, which we'll get into a little bit more here with the Clippers. I agree with that point completely. And I think it's something that we've seen bite the Clippers in meaningful situations. The couple times that we have seen them in the playoffs and now they've got bigger problems than just pull up jump shooting. They're Owen four <laughs> with Russell Westbrook. They continue to slide in that fight for the five six, seven spot that they're in with Golden State and Dallas. So, Jason, what's wrong with the Clippers and how concerned are you? So there's several problems, in my opinion. I, I, I used to say this a lot about the Lakers, but when you're underachieving to this extent, when you have that kind of talent on the roster, it's usually a bunch of different things. I want to be clear here up front, too, because we're not going to talk a lot about Russ today. I don't think Russ is the problem with this recent losing streak. I think he's played fine. I think his good has outweighed his bad, at least to some extent. He had a rough second half last night, and he wasn't too great in the second half against Denver. But for the most part in his shifts, he's been, I think, a positive impact player, and he's been a decent fit. 
I think I think there's a I think there's a couple of key problems, and the one I want to focus on here to start is that exact same thing we were just talking about with the Dallas Mavericks. Did you know that the Los Angeles Clippers are 29th in points in the paint scored? So, like, I think this is a basketball concept that we lose sight of all the time, where it's like we'll see Marcus Morris as like the seventh best player on the Clippers or whatever hit like a really nifty pull up jump shot in the middle of the lane, and then you'll see Norman Powell like like come off of a, a dribble handoff and rise up and knock down a three, and then obviously everything that Paul George in Kawhi Leonard can do off the dribble and you go like, man, this team just has an insane amount of offensive skill and they do. But once again, the vast majority of that offensive skill is predicated on perimeter ball handling and perimeter shooting. They do not have a downhill presence. They do, well, they do with Russ now, but they haven't been able to weaponize that yet. They do not have a consistent paint presence. And, and that to me goes back to our conversation from the beginning. If you're not otherworldly defensively, which we strangely enough, the Clippers have not been very good defensively as of late after they were great to start the season. I think there's another conversation to have about being too wing heavy because as much as wings can help in a bunch of versatility type situations, they are not great <clears throat> at the point of attack. Typically like there is a make no mistake. There is still a place for guards in the NBA. Guards are very quick. They have low centers of gravity. They can slide their feet and they can contain ball handlers. There's a point where you have too many guards on the floor and suddenly you're, you start to lose other areas of the, of the game, but you do need to have the ability to contain ball handlers on the perimeter. There are a lot of guys in, in the Clippers rotation that are, are lengthy and tall and skilled and can shoot, but do not have quick feet. And that causes them problems getting caught in rotation on the defensive end of the floor. So they do not have that high-end defensive ceiling we're hoping for. And offensively, they don't have an identity that lives in the paint that they can rely on. So really with the Clippers, it's like, are they hitting their perimeter shots? And they haven't been as of late. And you've seen them losing as a result. And the last thing I want to say is just Paul George. Um, in his last 19 games, 21 points per game, 46% from the field. Uh, 36% from three, not a minutes restriction thing. He's playing 34 minutes a night. He's not getting to the rim. Norman Powell is averaging more restricted area makes than Paul George over that span. His shot selection in general has been, has, has been really um, just shitty. In my opinion, he's just taken a lot of really difficult off the dribble jump shots. It's just a part of his normal shot diet. Uh, the way I look at it, <clears throat> he had that interview with JJ Redick and he's like, Oh yeah, you know, I'm comfortable slotting into the second role. And like, I admire the psychology of that, like the selflessness and, and all that and the willingness to buy in. But the reality is, is that's not how basketball works anymore. Like you can have two, sometimes even three, as long as they're complementary skill sets, go to guys. Like there's no reason for you to have to withhold things offensively. And Paul George is not being the aggressive, assertive superstar that he's capable of being. And it's actually hurting the team right now. And in the 2021 playoffs, when he took them to the ceiling that he did, nearly making the finals without Kawhi Leonard, he was a relentless rim attacker that used his pull-up jump shooting as a counter to that. And that has completely flipped on its head and I think has led to a lot of his recent struggles. So I, they've got a lot of things wrong with him, but I think in, in large part it starts right now with offensive approach being perimeter first as opposed to paint first. I think that's a great point that you make about PG and that has at many times been like the determining factor in <laughs> What Paul George are we going to get? Are we going to get Paul George, who sure is a great pull-up jump shooter, but is settling consistently? Or are we going to get eight free throws a game, downhill force, therefore enhancing his playmaking impact too? That's the best Paul George when he blends those two. And I agree he doesn't done that uh, well enough recently. But yeah, I think there's a lot of concerns with this team. And I agree completely with your reliance on pull-up jump shooting and overall jump shooting point. We have seen, to a T, the Clippers manufacture at least the first couple years of the Kawhi PG pairing, all-time regular season offenses, all-time shooting teams. And then in the three playoff series they've won, they've shot about 40% from deep. In the two playoff <laughs> series they've lost, they were under 34% from deep in both. It's like there isn't a counter. There isn't an alternative. There isn't a, hey, we can have LeBron just impose his will on the game, get downhill over and over again, eat up 16 free throws, right? Create shots for others by being in the paint, attacking the paint. They don't have that. So I agree. That is a big problem that this team is facing. I will say, though, I'm very concerned about the defensive regression that we've seen from them. Since January 1st, they're 23rd in defensive rating. Yikes. And I do not think these small ball lineups that they're trotting out are tenable 
in playoff situations. I think, as you said, they've lost something at the point of the attack. Like, I think even Pat Bev, right, was an upgrade compared to anything that they have on this roster <laughs> in terms of guarding, like, dynamic guards. And so if you're putting Russ out there, who is not a good defender, and now with Russ out there as well, I will say I do think that he hurts this team. Like, yes, he has played well in a vacuum, when he has the ball in his hands, he's been good, I'll say, because he has so much space to work with here. He's attacking open paints. He is shooting all around him. Yeah, there's been some turnovers. Yeah, he's been baited into some mid-range pull-ups that aren't great, but overall, he's been productive there. The problem is, when you look at down the stretch in that Kings game, or when you look at late in this Warriors game, and teams literally are not guarding him because he shoots 30.7% on wide-open threes, now you have a guy who's completely ineffective away from the ball. His athleticism, his playmaking doesn't matter because he doesn't even have the opportunity to get downhill because nobody's guarding him. Like, that to me is just really problematic when you also don't have good enough defensive personnel overall. That Jokic matchup, they were fronting him the entire game and he gave him a 40-point triple-double. Like, (laughs) I just think there's too many flaws here to consider them a legitimate contender. What we've talked about offensively, I do think the rust fit bottom line in crunch time minutes, you don't want a decision-making liability. You don't want him taking the ball out of the hands of PG and Kawhi, and he's a liability away from the ball. And yet we've still seen Ty Lue play him in crunch time minutes in three of these four games. So I think there's a lot to be concerned about with LA and, uh, I do not see them as a top-like contender. I think they get out-physicaled in a lot of matchups. I think their pull-up shooting reliance hurts them, and I don't think their defense is good enough. We've just seen a lot of regression there. So you had some Warriors points you wanted to hit on from this game. They're now better than 500 without Steph this year and have had a couple of incredible third quarters just this week. So what's your take on them? So really quickly, I I just want to say I do agree with what you're saying about Russ. But to me, that's the late game situation, which is what I've been saying this whole time. Don't play him in those specific situations. And then you can benefit from from the positives without as many of the negatives. I will say, though, their offense has struggled just as much when he's been off the floor. So that's particularly why I've been defensive of him in this particular situation is like, he has been brought in to assist in specific areas and they're struggling everywhere else. And so he's becoming like the easy narrative target mm-hmm. in this particular situation. So I, you know, and, and as far as the Clippers as a, as a threat, I a hundred percent agree. They cannot beat Denver, which means they need an extremely fortunate path to get out right. of the conference, which would in, would then in turn expect them to beat all of those particular teams, which I don't necessarily think they would. So I, I view them like in that tier with like Memphis and Cleveland and teams that are like interesting and talented, but don't really have that much of a significant chance to win the title. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to really quick shout out Steve Kerr because, you know, he went janky last night with uh, Draymond Green just completely blatantly ignoring Russell Westbrook sitting down in the paint. And then uh, a couple nights ago against Portland, and I actually misinterpreted this in my first rewatch. I was watching, and I uh, I was so hyper-focused on Kavon Looney and Draymond Green operating on the back end that I thought it was a 3-2 zone. It actually was a box and one. Shout out to some of the people in the comments on our video that corrected me on that. The, um, the box and one... Uh, is a, is a super janky thing that you might not be able to get away with seven times in a series, but it helps you win that one game in a must-win situation with Steph Curry out, with uh, with uh, Andrew Wiggins out. I, it, that is a that is a a regular season just 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 w- outwitting your opponent and finding a way to get a win when you're down twenty something against a decent talented team in Portland. And then last night, same thing. Like I I thought before that game that the Warriors had little to no chance of winning because of how much talent the Clippers do have and how desperate the Clippers were for a win. And then their perimeter size advantages that they have over the Warriors. And I was I was flat out wrong and incredibly impressed with the way the Warriors grinded out a just literally a chess match type of win. And what I appreciate is so often during the regular season, you'll see coaches just stick with their base scheme because they almost look at each game as effectively a practice and they're trying to build ten- like habits and tendencies for the postseason. And what I appreciate about what Steve Kerr has done is he's like, nah, screw that. We have ground to make up in the standings. This is playoff basketball from now till the end of the season. We are coaching every single game as if it is a must-win situation. Now Steph Curry's coming back on Sunday against the Lakers, so they can probably slide back into a more traditional model from there. But I just, to me, that is that level of, like, 
absolute uh, commitment to making the stretch run that you like to see. And it's making me want to put the Warriors up on that top tier of contenders, which we'll talk about here in this next question. I agree completely. There's been urgency. Uh, it's been really fun to watch. And the battle for seeding for them does matter. It could be the difference between playing the Kings in the first round and the Nuggets if you fall into that play in and you know, you lose your first play-in game. Or, of course, you can miss the playoffs entirely. I don't think that'd be likely, but it's possible. So it's been very fun. Uh, and the dubs are looking better for sure. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new natural hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design icon West Elm, the natural hybrid is the culmination of the two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams. The natural hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary, indulges your senses, and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Visit lisa.com forward slash hoops to learn more. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com forward slash H-O-O-P-S. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. Something I've always been a big believer in. When you try to take projects on yourself, you usually don't know what you're doing. You usually end up making mistakes and it can be a big headache. And so not only can a professional from Angie get the job done more efficiently, but they also are people that you can support within your community as local businesses. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job is done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects easy. Consider Angie your hub for all your home improvement needs. They can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that will tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. And the app is free and easy to use. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. The NBA season is heating up and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. My favorite bet this weekend is the Bucks at home against the Sixers. They're a five-and-a-half-point favorite, but they're on a big winning streak, and this is one of those moments where they have an opportunity to send a clear message that legitimizes their winning streak. I think they're going to beat the Sixers handily, so I'll take the Bucks minus five-and-a-half on Saturday night. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash Jason T. That's FanDuel.com slash Jason T to learn more. And if you're in Massachusetts, get ready because FanDuel's coming soon. Make sure you check out FanDuel.com slash Mass and take advantage of their great pre-live offers. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Nobody is looking better right now than the Milwaukee Bucks, Jason, who have won 15 straight games. Given that, should they be the title favorites? I think so. I think, again, like I had them as my second favorite coming into the season. Uh, We'll talk a little bit more about Golden State here in a second. My main skepticism there is just their playoff path and just how difficult the next few months are going to be and just what that means for an old veteran team that has some guys that have been in and out of the lineup this year. 
Uh, but in terms of every team, when you factor in their current predicament in the standings and what they look like as a basketball team, the Bucks check the most boxes. They are the number one defense in the league. They have the best player in the league, in my opinion, and Giannis. They have championship pedigree, so they know what it takes at every single level. They've experienced the pain of loss and the, and the 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 joy of the final goal. They understand that up and down nature of the NBA playoffs. Um, their half court offense has actually been pretty good. That's been one of the big knocks on the Bucks throughout the regular season. But this season, when Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, and Giannis are on the floor together, they have a hundred and one offensive rating in the half court, which is fine. It's perfectly fine. It's not Denver with. Jokic and Murray and, and and Porter, but it's it's a good half court offense, good enough. Their spot up shooting and spot up closeout attacking has improved. They're all the way up to twelfth in the league for the whole season now, which was one of their biggest weaknesses early on. Shout out to Joe Ingles. Shout out to Chris Middleton coming back and helping in that specific department. And I think out of all of the teams that we consider top tier contenders or really anybody that we consider to be a potential contender, I think they're the best equipped team in the league to win rock fights. And way too often we see these games denigrate down into rock fights when everyone, my favorite example of this was the other night when Philly was playing Miami, where like even the skill players on the floor completely lose their jump shot just because the game is so physical and everyone's out of rhythm and it's just super disjointed. And it's like, Hey, do you have a guy that can just barrel into four people and make a layup oh wait Jimmy Butler did and and Philly didn't Mm. and so they ended up losing right like I think Milwaukee is uniquely equipped for those specific types of battles so I think that that inherently puts them as my championship favorite right now I I do only have Boston as the other uh, top team in that tier uh, but I am extremely tempted to put Golden State back in that tier they they beat Mm. another good team last night without their two best players uh, they're in kind of in a sneaky good position in the standings with an outside chance of getting, uh, especially if they can kind of time things out to get the sixth seed to catch Sacramento in the first round. I really like how that would line up for them going Sacramento, Memphis, Denver, or whoever's in the one seed uh, through the rest of the conference. They also check, I think, as we're going down boxes, I think they check the most boxes out of the Western Conference teams. Like, I do think Steph is a better playoff player than Nikola Jokic. I think they're a better defensive team when they're completely healthy and put together with Andrew Wiggins healthy and playing like the top-tier perimeter defender that he is. I think they're uh, better defensively. I think they've got more experience. I, 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 I'm just extremely tempted to put them back in that tier. And Denver is starting to fall back off on the defensive end. They have started to let go of the rope there just a little bit. They've slipped down to 14th in the league after getting up very close to getting into that top 10. Um, but I will say this, uh, if golden state keeps winning at the weight, their rate, they're winning, they could end up falling into a Phoenix matchup in the first round. And that could be extreme. Well, first of all, extremely interesting for us, because can you imagine <laughs> Kevin Durant with his newest super team versus the golden state warriors in a seven game series in the first round? It'd just be incredible for us. So I wouldn't be surprised if they try to kind of meander their way down to the six seed, just because that's a much easier playoff path. Um, but again, when I'm comparing that to the bucks, it's just so much more has to go right for golden state. And then with Boston, I still have some concerns about their execution on the playoff stage. So I think Milwaukee's the safest bet. I agree, and this is the side that I've been on. I also agree that it is still a top tier of Boston and Milwaukee. I think they're honestly two of the most talented teams of this century. Uh-huh. Uh, I do like Golden State a lot, and the depth has also come along with them, right? I mean, DiVincenzo for 20-plus games has been great. Kaminga's looked his best. You know, he's not necessarily battle-tested or polished for that stage, but improving. So I still think, though, it comes down to me basically to a – faith in Giannis versus Tatum in a lot of ways. I think both of these rosters are absolutely loaded, have incredibly high two-way ceilings, but I think you put it well. The rock fight environment, the, hey, I will get mine no matter what, right? You can build the wall. You can double me relentlessly. I might not even have, as we saw last year, my best perimeter shot maker on the floor. I'll get my 34 and seven with solid efficiency and dominate the game on the other end of the floor. That's Giannis. And when both these teams have great supporting casts, I have to favor that over sometimes decision-making liability, sometimes overly relying on the jump shot, the difficult shot making that may not go his way with Tatum. I I do think that that does matter when, again, both these teams are so strong top to bottom. And I think the Ingles and the Crowder additions on the wings are hugely important. I think this Bucs team is better than the team that won the title. And they're going to have a tougher path, I think. Absolutely. 
Boston's better than anybody who they played in that run. And they might have to face Philly too, right before they even get out of the East. Like that's a really, really tough path. This is the best top three out East of this century too, I would confidently say. But I do believe that they're cut out for it. They have an elite shooting ceiling. They are going to be elite defensively. They have a three-headed monster at the top with the best player alive. And they have great depth on the wings. They can be physical. They're big. They have dynamic shot making. I think that they have it all. And Boston has a lot of it too. But yeah, that Giannis, that physicality factor does make me lean Milwaukee. Okay. Let's talk about another team out east that has been really the second hottest in the league uh, as of late, and that is the New York Knicks, who will continue to climb in those standings up to the five seed now and creating separation with the rest of that field out east. What's their ceiling, Jason? How seriously should we take them? You know, everything comes down to Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson, as I've been saying all season. And, you know, during this seven-game winning streak, it really is this simple. They're doing all the same things they've done all season, but Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson have produced like superstars on the offensive end of the floor during this stretch. All year long, they've been a pretty good defense. Not a great defense. I kind of look at them like the Memphis of the Eastern Conference from the standpoint of like their physical profile. Like they are going to kill you on the rebound, uh, on the glass on both ends of the floor. They're going to be a, a good defensive team. They don't have that same defensive ceiling as Memphis. But honestly, Mitchell Robinson starting to flash some of that high level shot blocking and rim protection that you get from a Jaron Jackson. So you're starting to see a little bit of that. Um, but they've always struggled when the game slows down. They haven't been a great half-court team on either end of the floor. They've got too many entry points on offense, and on uh, when they're on offense, their stars are somewhat limited, right? But during this specific stretch, those stars have been incredible. Dur during the seven-game winning streak, they're seventh in defense, what you would expect, best rebounding percentage in the league by mile, over 55% of available rebounds. But both Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle uh, Brunson, 28 points per game on 53% from the field, 43% from three. Julius Randle, 27-7-4 and four on 49% from the field, 39% from three. And suddenly they're super tough to beat. And, and they've been just racking up the wins. Back-to-back -back road wins in Atlanta and Washington, which are not easy. I mean, they're not great teams, but they're not easy wins to get. Then they come home and they beat the shit out of the Pelicans. And then they got the signature win against Boston, which I watched yesterday, albeit without Jalen Brown. Uh, but Julius Randle just came right out the gates and was gunning over the top with pull-up shooting from three and was knocking shots down. Um, Mitchell Robinson was locking down the paint. And now Boston was missing a lot of their open threes in that particular game. But I always, I always want to give some of the credit for that sort of shot result to physical teams because lift is a huge part of jump shot result. And when you're battling the best rebounding team in the league and they're but, you know, beating you up and playing physical on the defensive end of the floor. I do believe that sort of thing directly leads to shot result in, in some cases. Um, but th that's not to say like, obviously I'd pick Boston over New York in a series, but the point is, is like when they defend that way and they rebound that way and they get superstar level production out of their stars, they suddenly become very good. Now the question, what is their ceiling? it's entirely up to those two guys. If they are efficient 27 point per game scorers in the playoffs, they can beat anyone end of story. But the reality is, is, you know, the NBA playoffs notoriously expose basketball players for who they really are. And my guess as to what will happen is that when they get into the postseason and the physicality ratchets up and the defenses ratchet up another level, that they'll come back down to their realistic level, which is low 20 point per game scoring on moderate efficiency. And I think from there, they'll have some issues. But uh, last thing I'll say, I, you know, it's kind of shaping up with the way the standings are, are, are coming along that they might end up facing the Cavs in that first round series. I give the Knicks a real chance to win that series. I think the Cavs are an extremely flawed team on their own, and I think specifically their flaws play into New York's strengths, um, especially with the Tom Thibodeau and his ability to ignore shooting to help around the paint and the way that's going to make things difficult with, uh, with Cleveland and their lack of front court offensive skill. So I give them a puncher's chance, a real chance, actually. I'd say I, I'd have to think about it. I might even pick the Knicks to win that series, yeah. but I would give them no chance to beat Boston. I mean, as we're discussing, uh, as we're discussing their ceiling. I agree with you. I think that that is shaping up to be a really interesting looking series because I do think that there are clear advantages that the Knicks have, right? Significantly better depth. 
better wings. And as you said, when they have that dynamic star tandem, then they can easily go toe-to-toe with Cleveland. I mean, they may not have the defensive ceiling, but they have other things that can compensate for that. Outside of that, though, yeah, I really don't think just because of how good the top of the East is, there's any world in which I can see the Knicks making like a conference finals run. They are so much better than the team two years ago that everybody, I think, really overhyped. Like, that was a bad offensive team. We knew that all year. People just decided to ignore it because it was exciting. And it was like, yeah, they're overlying on Randall. They can load up on him. And if his jump shot isn't consistently falling, they'll get dismantled by the Atlanta Hawks. And they yeah. did. <laughs> you know, this team is in an entirely different stratosphere right now because of Jalen Brunson. And also, I mean, their role guys are improved. Like, Quickly, Josh Hart, those guys are first-team all-role player right now. They are doing their jobs exceptionally well. This bench is really good. But it's Brunson, man. Like you said, I mean, he's been one of the best guards in the league in this calendar year. He's been unbelievable. And he's an incredibly skilled, versatile pick-and-roll scorer, high-level shot maker on all three levels, good playmaker, good leader, competitor. He's the difference maker. He's the reason that this is now a team that you look at and say, yeah, they're a legit playoff caliber team and Randall has been much better after another slow start to this year and his jump shots actually come back to some extent like not quite at two years ago level but also better than last year where it was like oh my god is this guy literally (laughs) just exactly the same jump shooter he was before and there were no fans in the stands (laughs) he's at a happy medium where he's like 35% from deep 42% from mid-range and when he's at his best when he's physical when he's making good decisions with the ball when his jump shots falling yeah he can be a really impactful top two guy offensively so I think we view this team very similarly. I just don't think when you're comparing them to the top three, right? Those teams have more star power. They have uh, really strong depth. They are more gifted on both ends of the floor, right? It's just, there's a different level that I don't think the Knicks can get to in a seven game series, but they've been really fun. They've overachieved my expectations. And that Brunson deal, which I wasn't sure about, is clearly a massive difference maker and you know gets them one step closer to where they would like to end up. He's done the work. I mean, he's flat out done the work. So shout out to him. Uh, but I mean, it's really the simple take the top two guys out of every one of these teams. Take, you know, Randall and Brunson out. Take the Jays out for Boston. Take Drew Holiday and Giannis out. And who has the better roster? It's Boston and Milwaukee by a mile. Yeah. So what you're asking is for Jalen uh, and Julius to dramatically outplay. Giannis and Drew Holiday or the two Jays, which is just too much to ask. So it's just it's just the reality of their predicament. Those two guys are, you know, Brunson's better off as probably the second or third best player on the team. And same thing with Julius Randle if you're looking to win a championship. Yeah, and I still have concerns about Randle's offensive consistency and efficiency. And RJ, you know, is a beast of his own. He doesn't have that sort of expectation, but he does get a significant volume in this offense, and that mm-hmm. can be pretty ugly at times. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> the most he is the most predictable offensive player I've ever watched in terms of driving direction and shot selection. Like you, just, I feel like watching the TV. I know what he's going to do next every single time. <laughs> yeah, and a lack of skilled shot making. Like the intermediate yeah. game is, it's not there. Let's talk about one more Eastern Conference team who we have touched on here within these conversations. The Celtics have been quite consistently right at the top of the league this year. I mean, literally from the jump. Last year, obviously, made the finals. Slow start, incredible finish to the regular season. Jason, is this Boston team better than last year's? I think think they're much better. Yeah. Their defense isn't quite as sharp as it was last year. They're giving up about five points more per 100 possessions. I do think a big part of that is them kind of buying into the long view of, of the NBA regular season. Like, man, Boston, Boston night in and night out, their effort during the springtime last year in the regular season was off the charts. And I don't think it's realistic to expect them to do that again, especially when you understand, like... Once you and you've you've seen this with all the veteran teams around the league. Once you like thoroughly embrace and understand that from mid-April to mid-June, you're going to be going through this incredible physical grind. Like you do bank some energy there, so I don't really hold them overly accountable to that. I do think that they'll be able to reach the same defensive ceiling when they get to the postseason. But they're a much better offensive team than last year. Malcolm Brogdon has been a home run trade to bolster their decision making and ball handling. Um, to me, the well, in, in, in general, their guard core, I think, is sneaky, one of the best guard cores in the league. And it goes completely under the radar because of the focus on the two Js. Um, but they're a much, much better 
clutch team and execution team than they were last year. So this is crazy. Check this out. Last year, the Celtics were the second worst win percentage in the entire league in clutch games. They were 13 and 22. In the postseason, we saw that specific problem rise up time and time again. They lost five clutch games in last year's postseason, which was more than everybody else, albeit they played longer. Uh, But even above and beyond that, we just know from watching the games that last year they struggled with execution and ball handling. Uh, But in this particular season, they've completely uh, flipped the script. They've been the second best clutch team in the league. Uh, They are 21 and eight in games that have been within five points with less than five minutes left. They have almost a two to one assist to turnover ratio in clutch situations this year. So that speaks to them just taking better care of the ball. They've just been sharper in those areas. But the problem is, and you talked about this a little bit when we were talking about contenders, but the league around them has gotten a lot better. Milwaukee, I think is not only much better than last year, but I agree with you. I think they're a much better version of the championship team that won a few years back. Albeit that team was very much a war of attrition, last man standing type of team, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is a credit to you. They're a deserving champion, but their path through the playoffs was bizarre to say the least. Right. Um, uh, But like Milwaukee's much better. Philly, I think is much, much better than they were last year. And then the Western conference, you're either going to get, a Golden State team that is the defending champion that somehow gets right in time and, and peaks and gets out of the Western Conference. A Denver Nuggets team that is a, a matchup nightmare. We were talking about half-court offense earlier. Did you know that Michael Porter Jr., Jamal Murray, and Nikola Jokic have an offensive rating in the half-court of 111 this year, which is just unbelievable. That's like ridiculous, like static set defense environment scoring 111 points per 100 possessions. So that presents a whole other monster. It's like, or maybe you'll get lucky and it'll just be LeBron James and Anthony Davis and the Los <laughs> Angeles Lakers, you know, or Kawhi Leonard and, and Paul George. It, it could be, or or Kevin freaking Durant, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, yeah. and DeAndre Ayton, right? So like, it's just the Western Conference is going to spit out some ridiculously good team at the end of all of this. And you've got a tougher challenge up at the top of the East. So like, this is, by the way, why I've always been such a big believer in repeatedly loading the deck. Like, don't give up upgrading your yeah. roster. I I give the the Celtics a ton of credit for the Malcolm Brogdon trade. You know, going for Mike Muscala. You know, the, 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 going being aggressive to try to improve on the margins. I think has has served them well because if they play as well as they did last year in the postseason, they'll lose in the conference finals. Um, But they have given themselves a fighting chance. I still think they're the most talented team in the league. So if they do play to their actual ceiling on both ends of the floor, I think they'll get the trophy, but you always have to bake in their kind of uh, inexperience from a ball handling perspective. And that obviously Mm -hmm. uh, gives, that's why I'm leaning towards Milwaukee. But I, I do, I do think that Boston is significantly better than they were last year. I agree completely. They have been from the jump. I mean, who isn't better on this team than they were last year, right? Like Tatum has been more consistently great. Brogdon obviously has been an awesome addition. Derek White is like an entirely different player. You know, Derek White was a problem at times in last year's playoffs. He couldn't make a shot. He just averaged like 20 and six in an entire month while playing elite defense. I agree with you completely. I think, let me just also say, there's a lot of nights, a lot of nights where I think Marcus Smart is the third best, like, true guard on this team, right? Because I consider Jason and Jalen wings. They're their own category. Mm -hmm. Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon are incredibly talented basketball players. So complete, versatile. So polished. Yeah. In a lot of ways, they are like the thing that scares me most about picking Milwaukee because that's the new dynamic that this team has. But yeah, it's even like you talk about the back end of the rotation, just specific matchup guys who are competent. You know, adding like a Muscala, you know, Hauser actually becoming a decent player this year. Blake, I don't know if that really matters, but it certainly doesn't hurt. And then I agree with you. The lack of consistent elite defense compared to last year doesn't concern me because their personnel is identical. And we know the ceiling that they're capable of. So I think this team is loaded. And as I've said, I think that this is the most talented top two out East of this century. I think that we are in for an absolute war in the conference finals. And as good as, as good as the West is, I still do view whoever comes out of the East as a significant favorite, because I think they have by far the least question marks and they've consistently shown us elite, elite basketball and have incredibly high ceilings. 
Yeah, the only team that would come out of the West that I'd be really tempted to pick over either of those teams would be Golden State. Just mm-hmm. because, like, again, it was all, like, conventional wisdom going into last year's NBA Finals screamed Boston. Just just knowing everything we knew about them from a talent perspective. And yeah. I picked Golden State for that specific reason. Just they're, They just... That team, for whatever reason, you're just always going to get their absolute best punch. Yeah, whereas with some of the other teams around the league, it's like, well, which team are we getting tonight? You know yeah. what I mean? Um, uh, but yeah, I, you know, I'm glad you brought up uh, specifically Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon because th- those two guys, their their offensive creation has been just through the roof good. Um, both of them are good point of attack defensive players. I think that they're, I mean, Carson, you can tell me if you think I'm wrong. Is there any team in the NBA that's got a better two um, individual defenders for Giannis and Grant Williams and Al Horford? Like, I, I mean, I would go maybe Draymond Green as an individual, but like, there isn't the second. In, guy. in terms of like a duo, like, yeah. how, how great is that off the bench to have a weapon in Grant Williams that you can deploy on Giannis who can competently at least make him work harder? in those situations. But I, so much of this though, it's like, it's so funny. Cause we were talking about this with the Knicks earlier, but like you, it, the, the whistle gets swallowed. Everyone's offensive fouling and defensive fouling. Everybody, a ton of con like you're, you're weirdly allowed to like travel around the basket and stuff in the postseason when every, <laughs> when everything just gets, and it's like, I, I, I want the football player in that situation. And that's Giannis. Yeah. And that's just that one big wild card that just screws all of this up is just, they won't be able to load up on Giannis the way that they did last year because of the spot up shooting that's going to be around him. And as that series progressed, as good as Grant Williams and Al Horford were, Giannis started to go through them like tissue paper when it mattered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, that is all we have for today. As always, we sincerely appreciate your support. We will be back tomorrow morning. I'm staying up late tonight to record uh, on all of tonight's games, but that will be uploaded first thing in the morning on Saturday. I appreciate you guys rocking with us, and we'll see you next time. The Volume. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Visit lisa.com forward slash hoops to learn more. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash h-o-o-p-s. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.